Listener Production. When Lizzie Ho started telling me about her family, I wondered why she doesn't drag her dad up on stage with her. It sounds like stand-up comic Lizzie Ho was always destined to be funny with a family like hers. Lizzie is many things. She's a writer, a noodle enthusiast, the child of a Hollywood-style love story, which you'll hear very soon, an actor, a rescue greyhound owner, and, as she's only recently discovered, a person of colour. Also recently, Lizzie decided to quit her day job and to pursue comedy full-time. She is quite genuinely one of Australia's most exciting new voices, and in this interview, you are going to learn why. My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next, The Weekend List, where Helen Smith and I will have a whole lot of recommendations about what you can see, do, eat, watch and listen to this weekend. But first, here is my conversation with Lizzie Hu. Hey, Lizzie Hu, welcome to the weekend briefing. And let's pretend that the tech hasn't been a problem for the last 20 minutes and that we've just met. <laughs> yeah, I, well, let's pretend this isn't our third hello. <laughs> Lizzie, tell me about the comedy show that you're bringing to Melbourne Comedy Festival this year. You've already started touring. You've done it in Perth. It's called Woohoo, which has to be my favourite name for a comedy show ever. And I'm already there, but tell us why we should be there. Yeah, it is called Woohoo. Um, it's a it's a happy show. Um, it's basically about uh, me turning 40 this year, but I sort of reflect on my life through the eyes of a 30-year-old and um, sort of how different the two ages are feeling for me. But I, I think like turning 30 for me was like much more scarier. Um, I felt like a panic. What were you scared about? Oh, I just felt like when you turn 30, there's all these things you feel like you should be doing. There's a lot of shoulds um, and you feel Mm. like you should be ticking off a list and should be making all this progress. And uh, I think my life from the outside looking in was absolutely fine. Like it was fine. Like I had, I had friends, I had a good job, like I was doing all the things, but it just didn't feel like me. Like it didn't feel like my life. And I was sort of like on this search for something a bit more. Um, so I was, I was so confused about life that I sort of wanted a big change when just in my late 20s. And um, yeah, I moved to Mongolia when I was 30, just before my 30th birthday. <laughs> okay, I'd like to unpack that. Um, <laughs> well, the show unpacks it a little bit. <laughs> did you, did you, okay, we don't want to give it too much yeah. away. What did you know about Mongolia at the time? I'm going to admit, I don't know a lot about Mongolia. Did you have family there, friends? No, no, I knew nothing about Mongolia. Um, I knew what everyone else knew, like sizzling Mongolian beef. And I hate to disappoint you, but that doesn't exist in Mongolia. Oh no. (laughs) Isn't that wild? Um, I knew about horses. I knew something about throat singing and obviously Genghis Khan. Um, that was all that yeah. I knew. And that was the draw card, the Genghis Khan bit. Yeah. And I was living in Brisbane at the time. That's where I'm from. And like I moved from Brisbane when, you know, a very hot, humid city to the world's coldest capital city in the world. It was in, in oh winter, it would get to minus 40. Far out. And t- so tell me about like you're 30. Yeah. Most of us don't have all the confidence in the world the year we're turning 30, as you've 
already alluded to, you show up in a new country that's very cold yeah. on your own. Like, did you panic? Like, what did you do the first night? Um, the first night, so I was with this Australian government volunteer program. So to be fair, I was with a cohort. Um, we'd had training before we left. We'd had all these big heads up. This is what to expect. Um, we'd had some sort of cushioning before we arrived, but still it's like another world. I'd never been to a country like this. I'd traveled a lot, but I'd never been to a place as foreign as Mongolia felt really um far away and on the first night I think we were all staying there about 10 of us that arrived at the same time and we were all volunteering and we all stayed at a backpackers and so we're all sharing rooms it was just this big like all-in thing and I think we bought the local vodka and just drank it together (laughs) And thought, what have we, what have we done? Yeah, what have we done? Definitely, there was a lot of what have we done moments in the first few months. So, tell me what working life looked like for you before comedy became your full time professional gig. Yeah, well, before I went to Mongolia, I worked at an accounting firm in the marketing department. I wrote bids and tenders for an accounting firm, which was like probably part of the reason I felt like I needed to change up my life so much. Um, When I came back from Mongolia, like I sort of, I worked at a graphic design studio as an account manager. Like I've always had sort of like marketing adjacent roles. That's what I studied at uni. Um, So yeah, I was office life, nine to five or, you know, more like eight to six. (laughs) What is it about accounting firms? We in, interviewed Dilrook just a few days ago oh, yeah. uh, for the weekend briefing, who also did, well, he did a very brief stint as an accountant before he got fired, Yeah, but also went from accounting to comedy. There must be like yeah. fodder in accounting. I think accounting, lawyers, there's a lot of lawyers in comedy. Um, yeah, I think it's one of those things. I find accountants are wild from my experience of working in an accounting firm. There must be something. That is not a sentence I've heard before. Honestly, the wildest parties I've ever been to. Like they are cra- there must be something about looking at spreadsheets all day that makes you want to like <laughs> go hard at night because, yeah, we, we used to have like really good fun at the accounting firm. Now, Lizzie, we've been chatting for a couple of minutes now and we are both mixed race kids and I haven't said where are you from <laughs> yet. And so I'm going to ask you because both of us feel uncomfortable that that hasn't been asked of us yet because we're so used to it. Yeah, I usually say it straight off the top. <laughs> um, yeah, so my, my dad is Chinese-Malaysian and my mum is Australian-Irish background. Uh, she's from a town called Toowoomba in Queensland and... Um, I think my my dad has been here for a very long time. They met in Malaysia. They have like a really Hollywood love story. Uh, Tell us the Hollywood love story. Was it love at first sight? Yeah. My mum was travelling in the 70s, like early 70s, backpacking through Southeast Asia, which is so cool. Like, you know, when you look back on your parents, you're like, yeah, yeah, you were pretty cool. Uh, yeah. (laughs) So she was 
traveling with her friends and she was on her way to the UK because she's a teacher and she wanted to go and teach over there, Um, but did Southeast Asia first. She was hitchhiking everywhere. That's how they got around back in the day. So she was just hitchhiking everywhere. And um, my dad was a salesman for um, Iron Brand, very famous Malaysian brand, Iron Brand. And he was driving to Penang and his colleague called him and said, hey, I've met these two Australian girls. They need a lift to Penang. And my dad took... Uh, mom and her friend to Penang and that's how they met and she stayed there oh, for wow. about five years. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your family growing up. Give me a sense of what they were like. Can you give me a story that tells oh. me who you were as a kid and in, in amongst the kind oh you're already laughing so there's something there. <laughs> they, oh there's so many stories. Um I do a lot of stories about my family and my stand up. Actually this this year's show I give them a break uh because last year's show was so <laughs> so heavy on the family. Um but it was quite a we were always doing stuff. It was a very loud family. We were always very active. We were a very sporty family. We were always outside. I have two brothers, two older brothers. One is much older than me. He's like 11 years older than me. So I don't really remember growing up with him in the house too much. Um, but the other one is only two years older than me. And he now is a PE teacher slash YouTuber. So that is the energy. Really? Like actual YouTuber? Yeah. That is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, he's doing really well. He's um, at first when he told us that he he moved to Bali from Singapore and when he first told us that, we were like, what are you doing, bro? Like, (laughs) why why do you want to do this? But he had this like vision he's like no I want to I want to make videos and I want to do this sort of stuff and he's actually doing really well I love that I love that tone of voice it's yeah. only ever used about your siblings when oh. they succeed you're like and he's actually like good yeah. <laughs> I'm so shocked yeah he did the same to me when he saw me do comedy the first time like he reported back to the family it was like people were laughing <laughs> <laughs> It was not total rubbish. Yeah. I am sure. Yeah. So, you know, that having like growing up and he's always been like once a PE teacher, always a PE teacher. Like he, growing up, like he was just, it was just me and him playing sport in the backyard or going to the local football field and kicking the footy and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, and my dad, my dad is such a joker. I'll tell you, this is a funny story. I don't know if this is like. You know, sometimes you tell family stories and people are like, oh, that's a bit traumatic. And you're like, no, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's funny internally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, he- no, I, t- I totally feel this. Literally, I was um, speaking at a conference earlier this week and I have been quite sick the last few years mm. and I was making brain tumor jokes oh. and they were really funny. And the room was just like, no, no we are, we there's all these public servants just looking at me going, mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I was like, no, you can laugh. And they're like, Mm-mm. No, no, no. Anyway, it was a disaster. Oh, it's hard sometimes. But, yeah, he, my dad used to, like, he was always playing jokes on us. And he, he would tell us things like that he was a top 200 tennis player, you know, when dad's like, why? And you're like, yeah, my dad's a top 200 tennis player. Wow, that's so great. <laughs> 
<laughs> but he would, um, at night when we were young, or, you know, in primary school, he would go to the effort of creating this, like, man made out of pillows on our family toilet. Like, it was like, <laughs> I know, it was like a pillow man. Amazing. With a shirt on and, like, he'd put pants on and, like, shoes as well. Yeah. Like a scarecrow, I guess, but in in the toilet with, like, a football head and a hat. In the bathroom or, like, on, on the, the toilet? toilet. Okay, on the toilet. Okay, I just wanted a proper picture. <laughs> on the toilet with the intention of scaring his children when they went to the – when and if they went to the toilet at night. Oh, my God. And I, I don't know what his, like, thought process was behind that. But, yeah, I remember going to the toilet one night and I screamed because there was, like, this strange oh my God. pillow man in the toilet. But to Dad, that was like, yes, got him. Got him. <laughs> like, I think he thought he was, like, the coolest dad in the world just <laughs> – was scaring the wits out of his children. Anyway, that's the kind of household I grew up in. You, you look up cool dad in the dictionary and that's what it says, right? Like makes pillow men. It's a picture of Chan Hu. That's the definition. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it was a funny household. Talk to me about when you started to realise that you weren't just in a funny household, but you were funny. Because it's a oh. thing to say that, right? Like that's it's like it takes guts to stand up and do stand-up comedy. Mm. You were literally standing in front of a room of people. Mm. Everyone thinks they're a bit funny sometimes. Yeah. And you're saying, no, 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 I am professionally funny. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, once you start getting paid, you're like, oh, yeah, I am professionally funny. Um, but I started comedy quite late. Um, in my 30s, early 30s, I'd come back from Mongolia, I'd moved to Sydney. I kind of thought I was funny, like I was funny to my friends. But then I did this uh, stand-up comedy course at Sydney Community College. It was like four Monday nights, very basic sort of how to write a joke. These are these are jokes, this is comedy sort of thing. And at the end, um, the instructor put on like a friends and family show. And I did that. And I was like, oh, oh, that was really fun. I'm just going to keep doing that. But I think it was the art, the the writing that attracted me first. Like the mm. challenge of writing something funny was the thing that attracted me. Because I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like I'm friends funny, you know, like I'm funny with my mates. I'm funny after a wine or something like that. But in, in a comedy context, I, was, I, I didn't think I was, I don't think I saw myself as funny, but when in writing I was like, oh, I think I can write funny. And then I had to learn how to perform. Who did you look up to? Who were your kind of comedy heroes? Well, it's funny because when I was young, I watched a lot of Australian sketch comedy, you know, full yeah. frontal. Uh, there was this show called The Comedy company is it a comedy company and that was the show with like Kylie Mole and Conda Frutera and I remember getting at the Brisbane Echo which is like the royal show um I got the comedy company show bag 
when I was probably like yes. six or seven years old. And I got this like, oh, you know, in the show bag was like a whoopee cushion and slime and this comedy company like red visor that I had. I wish I still had it. I was really into that. I thought, oh, sketch comedy is so funny. Uh, but when I started doing comedy, oh, I didn't really know anyone. I knew who Will Anderson was. I knew like Judith Lucy, like I knew the people that, you know, I'd grown up with on radio and, and stuff like that, but I didn't, I'd never been to a stand-up show. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I'd never been to see comedy before I started comedy, but after getting to know comedy, I would say my uh, people that I really like are Maria Bamford. I love her. Uh, I love Michelle Wolf. There's the Daily Show host, Roy Wood Jr., that I really like. He's super good. Um, Ali Wong, obviously, just after I started comedy, her special came out, her first one. Baby Cobra. Yeah. And that was, like, all time. Like, I friggin' loved that. There's so much comedy out there, but, yeah, I I, I love a lot of John Mulaney, um, Mike Babiglia, Babiglia. I love Sarah Pascoe, the UK comic Sarah Pascoe. Yeah. The Australian comedy scene, Mm. I think until really the last few years, Mm. has always been pretty white. Mm. And I think that's been the case globally, certainly in the Western world. But I think here in Australia it's often felt particularly stark. Did you have a bit of that how do you be what you can't see sort of stuff or Um, were you just happy to dive in? I was sort of happy to dive in, but I do acknowledge, I think I joined at a really good time. Like I think it Mm. was a time when the industry was recognising that we needed different voices and we needed to hear from more women, especially I think I joined at a time when they were like, looking for more women, definitely. Maybe a few years later, like more diverse voices and that sort of thing. Um, I was happy to dive in, but I do recognise it was a good time for me to come to comedy. Yeah. Are you someone who enjoys making jokes at your own expense or are you happy to make jokes at the audience's expense as well? Um, yeah, a bit of both. I think when I first started, I was more self-deprecating maybe and made fun of myself. But now, yeah, now it's hard, like, trying to make jokes at the audience's expense. It's kind of funny, like, you can do it in a way. Like, I've got a joke at the moment um, where... I explain like how I just discovered that like only a few years ago that I was a POC. Like, I don't know if you feel this same way, but that's like a pretty new term. And before that we were just like, I was just the Asian chick. And then, you know, before that people didn't see colour. So being like a POC, I feel like I've joined like a special forces agency or something. Um, (laughs) But I talk about like how I, like I've, I feel like I've watched a recruitment video and I say, and one of the recruitment lines is, you know, are you interested in taking advantage of white guilt? And like, that's <laughs> making fun of a largely, what is a largely white audience. But I think people are, yeah, can yeah. see the, the fun in, in that. Yeah. Everyone gets to be included in that. Yeah. Day, but. <laughs> 
So what's next for you from here? You're obviously taking Comedy World by storm at the moment. What does success look like? Yeah, so success for me, I guess, for such a long time when I started comedy, I guess for the first six years, my mission was for comedy to be a full-time job for me. But I only realised it could be a job maybe two years in. Um, I thought, oh, okay, you can do festivals, you can do ads, you can do acting, you can do all this stuff. I was like, okay, I really want this to be my job. So I guess that it being my job now is success. Now I realise there's lots of opportunities that you can do. I'd love to um, write a TV show or write a movie or something like that and still get good at comedy because I feel like comedy is one of those things that you can never be perfect at. So that's always like the mission is just to like get really good at comedy. I reckon you've already got there on the mission too. But I love the idea of uh, you're, never, you're never quite there. You can always be better. Yeah. Right, Lizzie, thank you so much for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's it for my chat with Lizzie Hu. Isn't she absolutely fabulous? For more information on tickets to her show touring at the moment called Woohoo! Head to comedy.com.au. But don't go away because the weekend list is coming up next. It is weekend list time. Helen is here and together we are going to help you folks. We're going to help you navigate the weekend ahead, making sure that you've got all sorts of stuff to do by listen to hacks for the couple of days to make it just that little bit easier. Helen, why don't you kick us off? Yes. All right. So my first recommendation that is my latest desk edition at work. I've got it on my desk. It's a spray on sunscreen by Naked Sundays and it's so good. It's like 50 plus, smells really good. And it's even got, I'm okay, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, hydroronic, hydroronic, hydroronic. <laughs> they even have an ad about it. I, I see it and it's like hydroronic acid or something. So it's got that in it too. So it must be great for me. And the funniest thing is it was designed by this journalist, Samantha Brett, who is like a reporter, a news reporter, and she was started it because she had to put top up her sunscreen over makeup. So it's meant to go over your full makeup so you can top it up throughout the day, which is exactly what I need. So that is my latest recommendation. It's making me more sun safe, which I think we all need to do. I think that is brilliant because I am one of those people who – is good at putting on sunscreen in the morning and then never applies it ever again for the rest of the day, which is terrible. It's terrible. Uh, Anything that makes that just a little bit easier is good news. Something that has made my life easier in the last little while is this gift that I have bought both my parents and my parents-in-law. Stay with me, folks, but this this is a good one. There's Mother's Day around the corner. Things are not far away. All right, it is called a skylight frame. So what it is, is it's one of those frames where you don't have an actual photo in it. You have a digital photo in it and it, you know, rotates all the photographs, which is, you know, a bit old school, not recommending something new there. But the reason it's great is that it has an app uh, that you have on your phone and you can send photos and upload photos to the frame in someone else's house. And you can actually upload it to multiple frames at a time. So if you are someone who has an adorable child or a new baby or just a gorgeous fur baby or your parents just love seeing photographs of you, hey, 
I'm not that person anymore. They don't care about me. They only care about the grandchild. But were they to care about me, I could also send them photographs of me. Uh, It has just made the updating of the grandparents of what's happening day to day. Um, My little boy doesn't have grandparents who live in the same city as him. So being able to send those photos keeps the grandparents happy keeps the phone calls to a minimum and the begging for more photographs uh, and a really good way to keep everyone in the loop and also means the grandparents can show off. Honestly, best presents I have ever bought. I'm getting so much cred. I need to get this for my mum because like my whole family is in another state. So that would honestly, wow, that is amazing. I'm definitely going to get that. Okay, so my second recommendation is there's two kind of TikTok accounts that I follow. I'm sure there's many more that do the same thing. But the first one is at Ari.Yasmin and her videos go viral as she keeps you updated on the latest warehouse sales happening for all like really expensive clothes brands or just brands that you're like, oh my God, I love that, but I'm not going to pay $300 for this item. So she keeps you updated on all the latest warehouse sales every week and it's amazing. And another account that does a similar thing is at Get The Hall on TikTok as well. Posts about them in Melbourne, Sydney and pretty much everywhere else that's got a really good sale going on. So that's my second one. That is the most useful recommendation because I fall into that category of human who really enjoys shopping and like every human who enjoys shopping loves a bargain but I always feel like I hear about the big warehouse sales after they happen and people tell me about how great they were and I get enormously frustrated. I like the idea that I can stay up to date all in one place. Thank you, Helen. Uh, My final recommendation, folks, is that the 2023 Sydney Writers' Festival has just gone on sale. This is not an event just for people who are very, very loyal to their book club or who are writers themselves. It's much bigger and broader than that, though, if you're one of those people, you should go along too. The program this year looks really, really exciting. Uh, There are some really big names who are part of it and some really fun events like Adam Lior is hosting the dinner that changed my life. There is a storytelling gala called Letters to the Future where we'll hear from some really big names, essentially writing to the humans of the future, telling them about what is coming for them, expressing regret, expressing hope. In that one, you hear from people like, oh, Geraldine Brooks, Clem Ford, uh, Anthony Joseph. Like it is a very, very impressive lineup. Oh, Nutty Simpson's in that one too. I'm not going to go through all the events because we would be here for a whole additional podcast, but the lineup looks really exciting. I'm really pumped to bring a few of those authors to the weekend briefing. So you get to hear from them all, but the tickets will go really fast. So head to swf.org.au if you want to grab a couple for yourself, your family, maybe me, I'll come along with you. That's it for today's episode, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us. We've really enjoyed having your company. If you want to make sure you get to hang out with us a little bit more often, the best thing to do is to download the listener app and you can follow the briefing there or you can subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts and that way you will never miss an episode. We will be back bright and early on Monday morning where Tom Tilly and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Stay safe, folks. Bye for now. Listener.